Blog Talk Radio. What if you fell back through time? That's coming up next, right here on The Right Stuff. And welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we are going to be talking to two guests today, and they are the authors of this book, Until Then. I cannot wait to tell you about it in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for 10 years. As God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff. And as always, we cover your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net. Click on that pink follow button. You'll never miss a show. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel for updates, uploads, and more. Go ahead and subscribe today and click that notification bell so you'll never, ever miss an episode. And so, without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest co-hosts today, Cindy and Erin Woodsma. Ladies, how y'all doing today? Hello, we're doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you very much. I am so glad that you both took time out of your schedule to be here with me today. I do not take it lightly, and I'm really excited because I get to showcase your newest release called Until Then. Now, at first, when you look at this book, you're going to look at the cover and you're going to think, oh, it's just an Amish romance. But let me tell you, this is more than what you thought it was. Go ahead and we're going to get into it in just a few moments. Before I do that, though, I do want to introduce our listeners to you. So starting with Cindy, we'll go with you. Go ahead, introduce yourself to our listeners, and then we'll bring Aaron on board. Hi, everybody. I'm so thrilled to get to be here. I have been writing Amish fiction since 2006, and I love this genre in part because I had a best friend who was beachy Amish growing up, and there was such a difference in our homes. But in the last two books Erin and I have written, we've done two time slips, and it has been fascinating and a lot of fun, and I'm excited for readers to get a chance to read this. Hi, and I'm Erin. I'm Cindy's daughter-in-law. I've been working with her for many years behind the scenes, and then in 2016, we started co-authoring together, and this is our sixth book together, But and as Cindy said, this is the second that has a bit of a time travel element to it, and we're both really excited about this story. We feel like it's really unique, and can't wait to share more with you. My question is, did you get the idea from Outlander, the time slip? Well... We both love Outlander as well as other time travel travel fiction, but not in particular. Cindy, for many years, had this great idea brewing about what if we combined time slip, which obviously involves going somewhere out of your own time, and the Amish, who a lot of people view as living out of our time. That's not exactly true, and we kind of work that into the story, Uh, but this was a great idea she had, and it took a lot of work to get to the right spot to be able to bring it to life. My question would be, and this is just from your own observations about the Amish community, do you think, generally speaking, they can continue to live separate lives to their help or to their detriment? What do you think? You know, I think that's a great question, Parker. 
I was at among the Amish several years ago, and I got to ask some of the young men what they thought. And they have a lot of concerns that they won't be able to continue this lifestyle. And they've had a lot of changes since farming has become less profitable um, and more expensive. So that, that, that's a toll on them, but they definitely have the heart to continue trying to make this faith in this modern society work. One thing you said about the idea of the story is to have an Amish person go back in time. And immediately, just as an ignorant 21st century woman, I would think, oh, that should be easy. They're going back in time. They already live outside of time. And so how fun was it to really depict what a, in this book, it's uh, 1985. So what an um, early, tw late 20th century Amish person would feel like back in time. So how fun was it to just do that type of research? It wasn't as hard on me as it was on Aaron because I lived through 1985 and I had connections within the Amish community during that time. When it really gets challenging is when one of the married couples slips back into 1822. And what we get to explore at that point is the honesty, the real life part of how involved the Amish and the Quakers were in the abolitionist movement. And, you know, because they would never bear arms, their history was very different. Um, they would never use violence. And that had an impressive impact on the quiet, unseen lives of really struggling alongside the community who needed to be free. We got to do some really interesting research, too, into individual states, like, for example, Pennsylvania and Ohio. And the people that were coming from Europe, the people that were already here, and this like mismatch of cultures uh, coming together, and in particular how this related to the Amish and the other Pennsylvania Dutch communities there. And as Cindy was saying, how their unique viewpoint on pacifism really affected everything. It's fascinating that you mentioned about the Quakers because the Quakers were a major driving force about abolition during this time period. One of the reasons why is their belief system says that no one owns anyone. So it doesn't matter what you look like on the outward. You don't own any, anyone. You're human and how they would get around that. And so it'll be interesting to see for those of you listening, dear listener, how this element plays out in Until Then. And Until Then is available wherever books are sold. And let's dig a little deeper into this whole thing about Amish. When people hear about Amish fiction, they automatically connect it to religious fiction. And I would hesitate to say that it's not religious fiction as much as studying the lifestyle of someone, of a particular group of people. Would you agree with that statement? Clarify it. Go ahead and tell me your thoughts. Well, religious fiction um, is used, you know, in several ways, but in... And as far as like how books are, people have certain expectations when they pick up a book. So they know that it's going to be a clean story. They know they can, for example, read it in front of their kids. Although there can be violence or other things that happen in these books because they are true to life. And I would agree with that. The focus is on these people and their life. And religion was very much a part of their life and still is in the Amish community. So what? So yes, I suppose I, I would uh, I would concur. What do you think, Cindy? You know, I, it is its own culture, for sure, but there is no way to talk to an Amish person and there not be God and Christ at the center of it. 
And even though they're people and they're going to sin like all of us do, and they're going to make mistakes, and they have extra rules to go by that really don't have anything to do with religion or non, which are the old ways, but to them it does. It has to do with connecting with God as close as the ways that Christ would connect with God in his day. So just trying to stay close to home, go ahead and use a horse and buggy, you know, rather than a donkey. And um, it just, it has all these elements that are very much saturated in religion and faith. In your opinion, and based on what you have received from readers, what is it that draws people to Amish fiction? Okay, I will start with that one, Erin, and we'll go from there. Um, I think what draws them is the beauty and the serenity, the idea of people taking their entire lives from everything, from the way that they run a home, the way that they believe, the way that they wear their hair and their clothing. And to get into that aspect is just serene and beautiful. But like most things, there is always a story behind the picturesque look. And that's what I love getting into. And it really helps us sort of balance out that no matter how we live, no matter what culture we're born into, there is always a goal to try to live outside of that. And how do we manage to live inside of it if we so choose? I think readers are drawn to Amish fiction in a lot of the way that Jane Austen and the Regency fiction has remained popular in that even the smallest gesture, like holding someone's hand, is a big deal romantically and because they have so much structure and rules as an author you really get to play up the drama of that while still keeping everything very clean I I don't know I I think it's fun on the romance side like kind of the more restrictive the rules are the more drama there is I love that you mentioned Jane Austen because I'm a Jane Austen girl I love Jane Austen and recently I've been researching Victorian etiquette because Victorian etiquette was just as structured and very much more the society restricted your movements, your thoughts, and not necessarily for the bad, not necessarily for the good, but it was just a very interesting time where morality was really enforced by society. So that makes for an interesting conversation for another time. But I like how you said it's the restrictions. Within those restrictions, how can I move past that? Which just lets you know how rebellious human nature is. I love that. Let's go ahead and dig into Until Then. Until Then, dear listener, again, it's available wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. You won't be disappointed. So you said you had this idea brewing for some time. And then you mentioned 1985. And I know some of our listeners are like, 1985 is not historical at all. Okay. Right. (laughs) Some listeners are 1950 is not historical. It is contemporary as far as most of us are concerned. So we have 1985 and we have an Amish couple. Tell us what a day is looking like for this Amish couple and their family. You know, I think it looks a lot like uh, the Amish do now because they've tried so hard to hold on to the old ways. But there were, of course, no cell phones, no easy way to Um, And they're still not, but it's easier to wash and get their clothes out. There's just a lot of aspects that in 1985 are still true today with a little harder time, less 
um, ability to communicate easily, um, more ability to have accidents of all sorts and not be able to figure out what happened and why. Um, and 1985 for us, when Aaron and I were discussing it, was a lot about what was allowed among the Amish then, that is that uh, was not allowed among the Amish then, that is allowed now, which is where we get into our character, Ben, who uh, is an artist. He loves to draw, and he loves to draw faces, and that was very forbidden in 1985. So that's why we chose that era as the beginning point of the story, and then had a time slip from there. I find it fascinating that you chose him as an artist because, or rather I should ask, does that hinder his ability to be an artist because he's Amish? Is it more so about working and doing things to maintain the community, whereas art is not seen as something that maintains community? Because I'm not Amish, so I don't understand all the various structures of it. So go ahead and enlighten us on that. It, you, you are correct. It would have not been seen as a proper profession for him because they had a lot of restrictions. They, restrictions. they considered it idolatry to draw someone's face, especially back in the 1980s. And he had, then had to be doing this delicate balance to pursue his passion in art and also be providing for his family in an appropriate way. And his appropriate way is he's a carpenter. He builds a lot of cabinets, as the Amish do, um, a lot of furniture from wood and those things. But he loves drawing. That's his passion. And that's a passion that he's keeping the fact that he draws faces from his wife because they can be shunned for it. And shunning, we hear about it a lot, but it is serious business, Parker. I mean, the person is not only embarrassed, but they're family is embarrassed and the man may never be a pastor or be an Amish bishop or, you know, any of the uh, church leadership because he was once shunned. And it is a humiliation that passes down to the children who go to this one room schoolhouse. And it's just really taxing. So shunning is this social thing that I've heard a lot that has happened in Amish fiction. Like this is the one thing you don't want to have happen because this is your community. Why is he willing to risk it? Well, he's hoping he's not risking it. He's hoping he's hiding it from everyone, but he can't stop his desire to draw faces. And when Celeste sees it, one thing she's taken aback by is that she forgot how beautiful her babies were, how small they once were. When you don't allow pictures or imagery of any kind, it's easy to forget those things. Nonetheless, it was forbidden. Wow, that just sends tingles down my spine because I look at pictures of loved ones and I can remember them or I can remember the day something happened because the picture uh, encapsulates that memory. So now you have someone being reintroduced to the beauty of the visual art. And I, I really like that. And so I'm assuming that when he slipped back in time, he didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> So, so I don't want to go into how he gets there. I want our listeners for you listening to go ahead, pick up your copy of Until Then, available wherever books are sold. But what's happening once he gets back in time? How disoriented is he? Well, I mean, he's, he's very disoriented in that that is a, a correct guess that he wasn't expecting it. And that was sort of the fun part to get to use our imaginations is how would that feel if you were walking 
in the shoes of a person from the modern era, Amish or not, and suddenly in a time where the entire state what didn't have roads, running water, places to stop, like how would you travel? How would you deal with it? How would you even survive? And it was quite shocking to him that he couldn't even find a home. He he gets up off the ground and he can't find any humans anywhere for days. And he has no, nothing with him to survive. So he comes very close to death twice. I find that incredible. I just find it incredible. And I know how I would feel if I was sent back to maybe 1950, <laughs> okay? That's, again, that's not ancient history here, okay? So how much more would I be if I was sent back to 1822? I would probably have lots of problems, lots of issues. I'll probably expire <laughs> on the spot. Like, okay, obviously, Lord, you're calling me home because I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have that going on with that. So what about Celeste? What are some of her thoughts throughout this whole process? She doesn't know if her husband left her or if he died, you know, she just knows he went out for a walk to clear his head after they have a tremendous argument over this when she discovers the secret and he never returns and they have two small children and she helps him in his shop some, but she doesn't know how to make a living and there is no way for her to really be able to make enough money to support these children. So her life gets very hard and, and she's very sad not knowing whether he left her, he had spoken of maybe we shouldn't be Amish before he walked out the door. So it, it's quite traumatic for her. I love that you are using really real life issues that any couple will have. And I love that transparency. Like you said, it doesn't have to be that they're Amish. It could be just regular people in 21st century dealing with clashes and stuff like that. I really like that because as I was listening to you, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, anyone who's married could probably <laughs> have these problems. And do you think the purpose of that is to show just because they are Amish doesn't mean they are not connected with the human experience? Absolutely. At one point, because they don't have air conditioning or, you know, any electricity, so their windows are open while they're yelling at each other. And, and another Amish person walking down the road heard it and then was seen as being very ungodly, as was Celeste. And someone had to stand up and say, how godly would you sound if you're in the middle of a heated argument with your spouse? And so just trying to get people to, you know, let's broaden our minds and know that just because women are supposed to be quiet, we, won't, we are not always quiet in that relationship. We have to speak our minds and say our things, especially if he's to the point of possibly being shunned. I love that. And when you mentioned about screaming in the middle of an argument, I would be so guilty of that, doing that so many times. And there was nothing godly about it. But then was I thinking about the Lord at that time? I probably should have been. <laughs> I wasn't. And I love that you're just showing just the human side of this. Because the Amish, generally speaking, have been made to look like a pariah or a curio, depending on your viewpoint, wouldn't you say? Yes, people see them. And that, that can be kind of the draw to the books. People see them as different as this, oh, they're so different than us. Well, no, they're still just human. And they're going to have all of, a lot of the same problems we do. They just have a lot more rules and a lot more upstanding behavior they're trying to do. But the battle is the same for all of us. 
And maybe that's the whole point is that the battle is the same for all of us. So we all have sin that comes short of the glory of God. And when you understand that, it doesn't matter if you are in a futuristic society where you can have flying cars and you have all this great medical technology. The human heart cannot be fixed by material things. It just can't. And I think that's the point here, too. And so, dear listener, you are listening to me talking to Cindy and Erin Woodsmall, mother and daughter-in-law writing team, about their newest release called Until Then, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Go ahead, pick up your copy today. Now, Cindy or Erin, I do have to ask you, this is just so fun to ask because Usually when you hear about mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, it's always this friction between them throughout the ages. They do make good stories, too. Let's not lie about that. How do you guys work together so well? What what changed? What's different for your team that you work so well? Well, as far as for our dynamic, we have always got along really well. I've known Cindy since I was a teen. She's been like another parent to me, and I love her a lot, obviously. And I came in as somewhat of an apprentice to her after working behind the scenes. And we just established a good rhythm where we were coming up with ideas. I was helping her brainstorm. And she was then showing me how how to write, how to publish, and how to pull my weight more and more. And she's been such a blessing to me. And just having that, I try to keep humility and try to keep an understanding that she she's kind of the senior writer here and has come out with what, 26 books, Cindy? 27? It's a lot. She's, she's really, really good. She undersells herself on how much of a professional and amazing author she is. But she's been a great teacher and a great friend. And, yeah, we just, I mean, everybody has their moments of, you know, needing to clarify something. But we don't, we definitely don't have that friction relationship that you see, you know, fictionalized. And I love everything that Erin said, and she has. She's just yielded when I feel like, well, I really think writers might want it to go this way. But the beauty of working with someone so much younger than myself is she can come back in and say, Cindy, I think this is from the point of view of someone who's been married 40-something years, and I think we need to revisit it. And I love that. And I love when she, the book that she wrote mostly on her own was Yesterday's Gone, which is our first time slip. And I love that she would just give it to me to edit it. And she's like, I'm good with whatever way you think it needs to go. And if someone needs a day to think, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm not sure who's right here. Let's just give it a day. And if we're still not sure, we can let the editor say, well, I liked this part a lot, or I think we need to rewrite this part. And Aaron and I are both willing to yield to their wisdom because editors are amazing. We have a great editing team at Tyndale, and they've just been a joy to work with um, making that process. Because as you know, you're an author, so you know how much goes into the edits from the original draft to the final draft. And having a team that's so positive and giving us good ideas and helping guide us to make the book even better, like that's been great. Love Tyndale. Love Tyndale. Could not say enough um, positive words about how wonderful they've been to work with. And it's great to see that you both respect each other because writers do have, for the lack of a better term, creative energy. And when you get together, you're brainstorming. That's a really good place to be, right? Now you have to execute the idea, and both of you may have different ideas about how to execute it. 
And how to work um, behind that is the interesting part. Because I think writers are just born to create. We're born to flow in that space of creativity. So it's really good to see that. Now, you said that this is a standalone. So this whole time slip thing, this is your second one, the time slip. The first one yesterday yesterday is gone. It's also available online wherever books are sold. Do you think there's another on the way? I think this will be it for our time slip for right now. Um, I've loved it. I mean, I have loved it. I loved the amount of research that went into the historical fiction, which I'm sure you can um, resonate with, Parker. And um, But we're ready. We have some other stories that we want to write that have nothing to do with the time slip. So if readers really come back, a lot of readers, and say we would like one more or two more, we will look into that and see but these two stories pretty much covered things Aaron and I have been talking about for more than a decade I think if people want to get in contact with you where can they find you online so I have a Facebook page Aaron and I our our picture is at the top um, and it's just Cindy Wood Small author and uh, I love connecting with readers and there and that's a great place she has a website, too, that's cindywoodsmall.com, but Facebook is going to be the most active spot. Oh, I definitely understand. I'm on Facebook a lot as well. So in the few moments we have left, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today to talk about your newest release and to thank Tyndale for the connection. Before I do that, though, I want to let you know that this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So in the few moments that we have left, Cindy, then Aaron, go ahead and encourage them out there today. Oh, yes, definitely. When we have a story in our heart, we really need to um, discount all the doubts and believe all the joys of writing. And I had a lot of doubt. I mean, I had a lot of doubt. And I said no to writing for a really long time. And what I've learned in that is that it is a sacrifice of our time, and we do have to pull away to get that done, but it is for the greater good. We hear from people who sometimes receive healing, um, emotional, spiritual healing on their forgiveness journey or their, their anxiety journey, and that is worth getting to, to do that, and a lot of pastors only get to speak to a few hundred people at a time. And when you write, your ability to reach out into people's hearts and get to say what you want to expands beyond what many preachers can do. So it, it, it's something that's very valuable. Yeah, and for me, writing is a way of healing myself as well. Like in Yesterday's Gone, the book we mentioned earlier, I went through a similar loss to the main character and writing her story, even though it wasn't, it wasn't my life, it wasn't my pain, but it was a way of really processing and healing that. And I feel like every single book we've written, I've learned something new about myself. I've learned more about the human condition. And it's just one of the most important expressions that we can do, no matter who we are. We're all, we all are writers, whether we put it on a page, whether we're thinking about it in our mind, we all have these thoughts. And if you're called to write a book, that's incredibly important and you're worthy and it's worth it and go for it. And may I add, it doesn't matter how much time it takes. At one point in my life, Adam, which is Aaron's husband, 
was in high school. He was like, well, I just don't know exactly what I'm going to do with my career. And I raised my hand and I said, I know what I want to do. I want to finish chapter one. And I had been working on chapter one for years. So it's okay for it to be slow and to just be this long process to get to where we need to get. I cannot think of a better way to end our show today. So Cindy and Aaron, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you, Parker. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Parker. This is, yeah, it's been great. And we were talking today to Cindy and Aaron Woodsmall. They are the mother and daughter-in-law team of the book Until Then, an Amish fiction time slip novel available for you wherever books are sold. One thing I want to encourage you, dear author, is this. Cindy said, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Don't be afraid of the process. Discount the doubts because you may be helping to heal someone's emotional and spiritual well-being. For Erin, she said, writing was healing for herself and it helped her to observe human nature. If God has given you the gift to write, what are you waiting for? Go ahead, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J., and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.